I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down freelancing, the way most filmmakers make their living. If you'd like to suggest an upcoming topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. Before we launch into today's freelancing episode, though, we've got another exciting guest to introduce you to. So Liz Manischel, welcome to the podcast. Please tell us who you are and what you make. Oh, thank you. You said my name right. That was lovely. Um, I wouldn't have blamed you if you said anything else. Um, who am I? Yeah, that was the question. Uh, yes. I am first. Who do you form- think you are, Liz Attempted to find myself. Um, I'm uh, a feature writer, director, producer, casting director. Uh, I also have spent a lot of time working in artist support. And I currently work as a freelance distribution consultant. And I think the most humble braggy thing I can say is that I worked at Sundance for three years. And that seems to be the reason people want to talk to me and then they immediately regret it. Um, but, but somehow I snagged them um, at the start by saying the word Sundance. Yeah, and that's how we originally met. I, I don't even remember how we got connected. We just, I think our bosses were talking and then we were like, we should do a podcast together. So, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. It was great though. I remember the exact moment of sitting very closely to Jess Fuselay on like the, because <laughs> we needed to be both in frame and I'd like never been that close to her. And I remember <laughs> having to do, it was, she's great. She smells wonderful, like lots of laughs. But um, anyway, I remember that. Very well, Brie. <laughs> nice to see you again. Yes. Nice to meet you, Christina. Yes, yeah. nice to meet you. Uh, so Liz, can you tell us a little bit kind of about your trajectory from, you know, budding USC grad, I believe, mm-hmm. to where you are now? Like, if you could just tell yeah. us a little bit about your path. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so I went to college and then I, during my gap year between college and university, um, college and grad school, I applied to grad schools. So I just had a year between those and then uh, went to USC film school for three years and I graduated in 2010, which if I'm remembering the, the right strike, it was during a strike. I believe it was one of the big writer strikes. <laughs> yeah, and, that seems like the right time. Right? And um, no one could get a job. And so I worked freelance for uh, six years from graduating film school until 2016. And I did a lot of things like I like to bring it up a lot. I had to bring my boss's poop to the colonoscopy doctor. I had to, you know, pick up his kids from school and drop them off. I was a personal and developmental assistant for a lot of small boutique production or distribution-y things. And then 2016, I started work at Sundance, worked there until my department got dissolved. (laughs) Then Hashtag mood. um, Happened to me at MTV. Right, yeah. Yep. And, um... Spent a year working in impact distribution last year and then decided uh, September, 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 I think, I think September, October 2nd to go freelance. And that's where I am right now. I mean, I I think it's important for people to understand, like, you don't just go from like film school to, you know, multi Oscar winning director or if if you do, you're the one person who's done it. You're Damien uh, Chazelle, I, or probably. you're yeah yeah you're someone's child. <laughs> you're someone important. Yeah. I, we're all part of the Boring Parents Club, so unfortunately, that's not going to work for us. <laughs> um, so can you can you tell us how you started at Sundance, the 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 thing that people 
you know, first catch up when you talk about your, your resume? I was working at the time for a distribution consultant and I fell into that job because it, it was available and he seemed to like the fact that I had crowdfunded and believed in autonomy for artists. And I didn't know anything about distribution at all. I just believe in getting projects off the ground. And so I, I knew a few things that had to do with kind of that that world of entrepreneurship and filmmaking. And uh, that job came up at Sundance and I told him, I said, there's this job. I really, really want it. Uh, I really think it's a good fit. And he uh, he fought for me to get that job. And I knew a few people from film school who were working at Sundance and I sent them messages and I said, could you vouch for me too? Would you be willing to? And here's my resume and here are reasons why I'm a good fit. And the job was to manage a department called Artist Services which I think the entire first year, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing at that job. Like (laughs) the job description did not match what I was doing on a day-to-day basis. But the goal was to be a distribution consultant for Sundance alumni. And I somehow um, conned people into hiring me. And I really (laughs) loved my job for three years. I thought it was um, a really good one. That's awesome. So, I mean, we wanted to talk to you for a lot of reasons, Liz. I wanted to talk to you for a lot of reasons. But ostensibly, today's episode is about freelancing. And it sounds like you've had a pretty, you know, wide swath of freelancing experience. Um, so I'm curious, first of all, uh, how like how you first started getting freelance gigs when you were just fresh out of college and everyone was on strike? Like what was what was the process of, you know, getting getting putting together enough money to pay your rent and whatnot? Well, I don't have any real marketable skills. Like I don't <laughs> edit. I don't, you know, it's like everyone in the filmmaking production world, they can kind of get by on like really wonderful marketable skills like editing mm-hmm. or producing or um, you know, being a one person production house or all these different things that I see people doing. And I don't do that. So I started off pitching myself as an assistant. And that was my first job coming out of film school. And it was a Craigslist ad. And the reason he hired me is because he saw USC and the resume. Um, mm-hmm. And we met and he I laughed at his sarcastic jokes. I think somehow like he was like, oh, I have an audience. Um, so that was my pathway was to push the administrative assistant kind of aspect of my resume. Mm-hmm. The I, soft skills kind yes. of stuff when Ooh. you don't have resume yeah. experience. I didn't even know. <laughs> yes, that's a term. Yes. Um, <laughs> when I graduated college during that year, I was applying to film schools. I tempted that entire year and all of those jobs were typing, answering phones, receptionist stuff. So I kind of developed a little bit of a background and felt comfortable in the assistant sphere because it was like someone telling me what to do. Right. And then it when you when I got a salary position, I started to realize, oh, you mean I can make my own day and I don't have to schedule someone else's calls. And that was really a wonderful breakthrough. But um, my the way I advertised myself was like fast typer, you know, positive attitude, things like that. And you were mostly getting jobs just from like job postings on LinkedIn and Craigslist and kind of stuff? Yeah, the Craigslist, I left that job uh, after two and a half years because uh, his dog attacked me. (laughs) I told my parents, I mean, didn't even attack me, like jumped on me and it was a very large dog and I fell over because I'm five feet. And I told my parents and they were like, if you get seriously hurt, you're not protected. And this 
Like, think about that. Is the money worth it? And I started to think like, oh, no. And also I had to bring his poop to the colonoscopy doctor. So that's another tally in the (laughs) con column. Um, So I would, I think it was mainly networking, friends of friends, opportunities like that. And my last freelance gig before working at Sundance came to me through a former, I think came to me from a USC professor who like recommended me for it. But it was never like it was never like the UTA job list. It was never like, sure. you know, things like mm. that. It was always kind of really informal ways. Mm-hmm. Often very random. Yeah. One thing I just want to call out very early on is um, professors recommending you for stuff like that's how I've gotten a lot of freelancing gigs as well as I I keep in touch with professors from both college and grad school. I've added them to my newsletter so that they're kind of kept abreast of what I'm up to. Um, and yeah, I've gotten a ton of jobs and connections through that. So keep in touch with your professors kids don't be a screw up (laughs) I used to house it for two of my favorite professors and one of them god unfortunately just passed because of COVID thanks a lot 2020 and like um but that was a way right is like you these are wonderful human beings who's devoted who devoted their lives to like getting artists off the ground so it's like why not keep networking with them yeah no totally um so I have just so many questions about freelancing, <laughs> but I've also talked quite a bit. Christina, do you want to hop yeah. in? For- well, so for context, I recently, I guess it's been like four months now, I left Seed & Spark. I was the head of education for four years. Um, and- okay, sorry, it's clicking right now. I've seen your name like a thousand times. <laughs> I was actually surprised yeah. when you were like, nice to meet you, Christina. I was like, there's no way that you haven't met. No, That's I've, never seen, I've never <laughs> no, seen we- you. I've just seen your name. <laughs> yeah, we've never it's interesting. We've I don't think we've even corresponded through email. Oh, no. but, <laughs> but anyways, you left Seed and Spark a couple of months ago. Yeah. Yes. And uh I'm freelancing now and because I mainly want to focus on my my filmmaking career and specifically writing, but consultations is something that could help me pay my bills in this flexible period and something that I'm struggling with is Stuff that I used to do theoretically for free because I was paid by a, a, a company. <laughs> so I would say yes to everything where it's like, oh, can you, someone needed to ha- have a phone call with me or grab coffee with me? And it was all just sort of like under the umbrella of what I was paid to do. It was easy to do that. But now I am not under that umbrella and I, I have to kind of monetize my time and my advice. And I'm definitely struggling with like, how to make that transition and how to feel like not feel like an asshole for having to ask people to pay me for certain things I used to do for free. And I'm just wondering if you've also had that experience and if you're, you have an advice. A thousand, a thousand percent. I used to, I I mean, I'm sure I, I can't get in trouble retroactively about this, but I used to use a lot of my time working at Sundance, taking free calls from people who are not Sundance filmmakers. Because my whole thing was I wanted to break the door open to Sundance because mm-hmm. it always felt this like pearly gates exclusive environment. Sure. I wanted to break down that idea and give more access to different filmmakers. And I would get filmmakers who would say to me like, oh my God, thank you so much for like giving me this information and I would always think, oh, they're just being nice. I wasn't doing much, whatever. It was like an hour of my time. And then I realized an hour of our time, all of us, 
is incredibly valuable. Yeah. I didn't understand that until um, until my friend Mia Bruno, if you know Mia, she's like in our yep. circles, right? She helped me a lot in terms of helping me get the confidence to quit my job in the first place and to remind me that all the information that we have, our background, our resources, our ability to support artists is worth a lot of money and is worth a lot of um, value, not just monetary, right? It's worth the value in the system. So um, I just want to say, like, I struggled with a million percent. I used to give away my services for free all the time. And now I set really specific boundaries. I'll do a free call if it's less than a half hour. If my advice is only at a half, like, if I only can provide a half hour's worth of value, then I really just give it away for free. But if they need more than me talking for half hour or the connections I have or the resources I have, then I charge my hourly rate. And I think, and it's still half of what a lot of people charge in our Mm -hmm. industry. But I just want to acknowledge that because it's not a traditional work lifestyle, you can very easily undervalue yourself. And there are tons of filmmakers who actually do um, see the value in, in consultancy and actually are willing to pay you for your worth. And I'm learning that. I was counting. I think I've worked on 18 films since I started freelance, and that's only been three or four months. And and I don't advertise myself like crazy. I think there's a lot of a lot of people out there who want who want who could benefit from your help, Christina. Thank you. <laughs> How are you advertising yourself now? Um, I think it's word of mouth. I I mention every now and then Twitter that I consult. I have a newsletter, but I feel like Bree's numbers are higher than mine. Um, but I talk about it in my newsletter. I think the Sundance reputation helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think Mia, I think of her as my new mentor. And when she can't do a job, she sends them my way. And she does that for a lot of other consultants. So I think getting into a circle where people are referring to you for jobs. Uh, Really quickly. So before we move on to like, because I have a lot of questions about like setting rates, um, something I wanted to ask in regards to like, especially moving from a situation where you're salaried and you can kind of give away your time for free because somebody else is footing the bill and you are ostensibly benefiting the company overall. I'm curious, Liz, how like you sort of navigate setting rates for your expertise, guarding your time, like valuing your time, but also not gatekeeping your services or and like expertise from people who like wouldn't be able to pay your rates, but like if they had your information could go a long way. You know, like how how are you sort of balancing that? Are you someone who like has a secret rate for rich people and a secret <laughs> rate for not as rich people. Like what, how do you balance like wanting a fair and equitable, you know, free exchange of ideas amongst underrepresented people, but also paying your bills? I think when I have an issue, cause I have initial calls that are like 15 to 20 minutes before. And it's like me doing my pitch and telling them what I would do if they paid me. And I work with the film collaborative by also, sorry, Christine, the other answer is that I work with an established nonprofit and I am, I am a distribution consultant for them as well. Mm. So um, I'll work with film collaborative filmmakers. And then I work with filmmakers on my own and either way I do an initial call. And I basically say to them, you know, filmmakers are not making any money, right? Like that's like the beginning of the spiel. And the reason I say that is to say like, here's my rate. 
you may not make this amount in transactional distribution. And I want you to know that before we go forward, because you should know, like, I want you to maximize the amount that is going to come back to you. So I think it's stark honesty with the film, especially if you watch a little bit of the trailer and you get a sense of how far they can go with their film. Cause you can, there's a lot that you can kind of presume just looking at mm-hmm. a tiny little bit of it. Um, the other thing is, Um, I have a two-year-old and certain things have come to my mind in terms of like why I left my last job and it was boundaries. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't work outside of nine to four. Um, I, if I'm dreading a call with that client, which hasn't happened yet, I'm going to find a way to get out of that relationship. I'm not going to suffer through a working relationship. Um, and I try to, make sure I hike a few times a week. Like I actually build it into my working schedule that I'm going on a hike. So like I don't have tiers for rates. My hourly rate is my hourly rate. But if someone, if I get the sense that someone can't afford me, I'll be super honest and transparent. I'll try to give them some quick free advice. And I try to protect my lifestyle as much as possible. I think that's, though I I know that's not the real question you asked. That's the thing I and most excited about because I didn't know it was possible to look forward to Mondays. And I was like, Mm. last night, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get going tomorrow, which is like a new feeling for me. That's really cool. Yeah, I I, I think that something that like, because I've done freelancing on and off. I mean, I'm freelancing now, even with my full time job because of Lots of things that we talked about in the grind culture episode a couple of episodes ago. Uh, it's not out yet at the time <laughs> at which we are recording, but it'll be out soon. Yes. Um, and so for me, what I have always struggled with in think in like because I've done some consulting as well, like you know. It, how do I protect my time, set boundaries, and also not feel constantly terrified about money? Mm. You know, like, so mm-hmm. what, how, what, what, how are you answering that for yourself? Or like, how are you prioritizing boundaries and also making sure that like, you know, some, you know, you're, you have enough of a pipeline to sustain yourself? Like what, what is your, what is your secret? <laughs> or is it just take a breath, you'll be fine. Oh, no, there's no secret. And also, like, I am slightly nervous. And this time next year, I'm not going to be this like novelty, which I think some of some of my success is like, oh, it's a novelty. This girl from Sundance who like managed mm-hmm. this program that got a lot of attention is now on her own. I want to and I'm not saying I'm popular, but I'm saying that might be a reason people would want to work with me. Um, and that novelty could easily wear off. And what do I do next year? So I could very well be on the streets next year. This is a, a sincere fear of mine. Um, but what I do, which may seem like a minor thing, but helps me, is I track my gross income monthly. And I look to see if it's growing or if it's decreasing. And just that gives me like a little bit of solace. Like December, I went down. For, it was like October. And November went up from November, so October, and then November went up, and then December went like below, really low. And then now I'm back in January, and I'm actually doing better than I ever have. And that's enough for me to be like, oh, okay, there's an upward trajectory here. And there's a reason why December sucked, because there was, and it, you know, they were getting ready for an attempted coup, and they were not interested in... (laughs) creative distribution, you know, Um, you know, there's many different reasons why the holidays are not a good time for freelance work. Mm -hmm. So tracking helps. 
Um, if you ever, I think looking at your schedule and if you're busy, that seems to just feel like a symptom of success as long as some of those hours are paid hours. Mm -hmm. But, and then I do a lot of writing for pay in addition to consulting. And I think that actually is going to be more lucrative than consulting. Um, so like doing a case study on a film or writing for pay on my film, or I'm doing, um, like articles and interviews with distributors and things like that. So the freelance writing you're doing, are you being paid by like an outlet or a company who wants to put it on their like corporate blog? Are you writing it and then pitching it? Like what, what's that workflow look like for you? Um, Film Collaborative pays for case studies, and I'm working with them on a longer term project that I can't talk about, but it's going to be a resource for filmmakers and in their evaluation of distributors, and it's something that they've been wanting to do for years. Um, And then another website is paying me to do... um, I'm like, what? What am I allowed to say? There there are (laughs) interviews with distributors, and I I pitched myself for one, and I was approached for the other. So, but I, before that, I wrote tons of articles for free on Medium because I just wanted to talk about creative distribution, audience building, holding distributors accountable. And I think the more I did that, and I got Sundance to repub- republish a few of them when I worked there, that um, I think that helped create like a foundation. And I've done some things for like Movie Maker. They seem to be looking for content a lot. Just as a, a tip. Just as a side. Yeah, no, that's that's very helpful. Um, so I have a lot of questions about uh, like the logistics of freelancing. So Christina, do you have any other questions before I ask some very granular, <laughs> specific questions about money? Um, just I'm wondering, because you are also a filmmaker, how are you balancing your own creative pursuit with freelancing and like boundaries and you're also raising a child like how is how are you keeping that all sort of afloat (laughs) and not just working all day every day (laughs) I physically can't work all day because as soon as my kid comes home I'm off and running right and so I have to get as much done as possible between nine and four it's like this little like fire underneath me or whatever. There's something hanging over me that's a little bit of pressure. So it, it helps make me a little bit more efficient. Um, in addition to that, I did this thing in December. It's called Two Pages a Day December. And I created this idea. It's just me. It's not like an initiative. Mm-hmm. It was me just with the hashtag. And I'm the only one using the hashtag. Um, but it was mm-hmm. like at the end of every day around 3.30, I turn on the Calm app. I'd listen to a Jeff Warren 10 minute meditation, who's my favorite voice in the universe. And I'd go over to my computer and I'd write two pages. And I wrote a feature in December doing that. It ended up more than two pages a day, but it's about 75 pages right now. Um, So a section of parts of my day where I'm turning off, where I'm trying to be creative. And then the best part of freelance, I think, is knowing that you can section off if you if you work out your finances properly, a month of your time to go shoot something, a week of your time to go shoot something. So I'm like living for this idea that I have that I still think I'm going to shoot something in the summer. And so in my mind, I'm building up to that month long 
creative explosion. So I have something to look forward to. That sounds a lot like NaNoWriMo, which is something I used to really love doing when I was a novelist. Yeah. Um, I've tried to adapt it for screenwriting, but like there's something, there's, there's not a good corollary, but I like the, the two page, what what did you call it? Two page December? Yeah. Two pages a day December. And then some other people were like, why not three? Why not four? And it's like, that's not the mentality. The mentality. Right. Just write two. Don't kill yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. and two is not that easy. Like, yeah. Sounds no. easy because I'm trying to market to everyone within earshot, but it's hard to think of two substantial pages for your screenplay every day. Totally. Yeah, I like that. I think I, I might need to institute that because, yeah, I'm somebody who Me definitely too. has a hard time of stopping working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, I would love to look forward to Mondays, but my Monday feels the same as my Saturdays and Sundays because I'm working the whole time. So perhaps. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is that I don't open my computer on the weekends. I don't know if that is even possible for other people, but I don't, I won't do it. (laughs) And um, what do you do? I'm now I'm just curious. What do you do with your other? I mean, obviously you have a a child and a partner, so that probably takes up a a pretty big chunk of your day, but like, what do you do when you're not on your computer? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds insane, but a couple um, of months ago, I realized hikes. I didn't know what a she hobby goes was for anymore. hikes. Yeah, I go on <laughs> I hikes. Guess, yeah, you, okay, hiking. Um, my husband and I we watch movies. We mm-hmm. I cook dinner for the me and my son. Um, because my we all have different diets. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> my husband is like only eats meat. My son like you know eats mac and cheese. Um, what do I do? I watch things. I walk. I don't know what I do. The time goes really fast when I'm not tracking it. But when I'm in front of the computer, I feel like I can be more efficient. I don't know what I do. It's, I think of it as often, I think of it as a waste. I'm like, why am I not doing more right now when I'm sitting here watching Sesame Street with my kid? <laughs> but then I keep saying to myself, like, this is the only time I'm going to have with him. I only get like two hours a day with him. So I just try to sit and enjoy Elmo and Grover. <laughs> Did so... That's, that's fair, but that's, that's more than I'm doing off of a computer. Um, so <laughs> I'm curious then before I get into my very technical questions, what were the conversations that you and your, your husband had, uh, vis-a-vis you leaving your salary position for, uh, for freelancing? If you, if you, you can tell us as much or as little information as you want. I'm just curious the sort of negotiation of that. Cause obviously, you know, that's a big risk and it's an exciting risk, but you know, you have a family to think of. So I'm curious what those conversations look like. You know, it was like months of me talking about it with Mia or my family or Sean, my husband or whoever. And, um, he's very big on just saying you do what's right for you. Mm-hmm. And we have separate finances too. Like we come together and support our child. 50-50. But he never said anything like, do you think we can afford it? He didn't really ask those questions. He just kind of put that trust and faith in my hands and knew that if I didn't feel comfortable, I wouldn't. Um, he's a post supervisor. You know, he's gonna he works on a gig by gig basis. So things are a little bit unpredictable for him as well. And so, but it doesn't really impact me because again, like my money is my money and his money is his money. So sure, we didn't really, and we didn't get married till the pandemic. So we didn't really talk about it in that kind of way. I felt a little guilty at times. I, when I quit, the joke I kept saying to my coworkers was like, I hope you don't think I'm too irresponsible quitting my job during a pandemic with the child. Um, <laughs> but I I knew that I had enough money for a year 
to take a chance. I had saved enough money to like take, take a leap of faith for a year. And so my goal is just to not, yeah, to not uh, starve my child. <laughs> so, um, I think the other thing you do is you break down your monthly expenses, right? And you see like, how much do I have to make? I mean, really, I canceled Spotify. I canceled a few things that I didn't really think, right? Yeah, like, do I really, I can listen to commercials if I have to, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I can wait on the perfect ABBA song. I don't have to hear it right this second. Um, <laughs> I think that's important. It's funny. It's like you ask all these questions that are so good. And I'm like, oh, I should have done more. I should have. <laughs> I just, it was kind of a jump in a really weird way, a scary jump. But it sounds like it's its so far, you're really happy with it. So that's, that's heartening. That's great. And I had a, my job was great, by the way. I never, I never want to make it seem like I was escaping a bad situation. My bosses were really nice. My coworkers were lovely. It just wasn't the right job for me. And I think we can underestimate the repercussions that that could do on our mental health and our attitude and our physical health, you know? So I think I'm just um, glad to not, I'm glad to have made the decision that I I feel better. That's lovely. Um, Okay, cool. I have some very, very specific questions for you now. (laughs) So uh, my first question is, what do you think people need to have in place before they attempt freelancing as like their main thing? Like, do you need an LLC? Do you need to set up a new bank account? Do you need a website? Like, what do you think are the absolutely necessary building blocks of I am being responsible for my new freelancing adventure. I think you need to have a certain degree of demand for your services. Like Mm -hmm. I get before freelancing, I got like one to two emails every week, maybe people being like, could you help me? And I would just email them or call them. But now I'm like, oh, that's, that's a client, right? So I perceived hint at demand, I think is important. I'm a big fan of having a solid website and that doesn't mean anything with animation or, I mean, it could be Squarespace, but just something that has your bio, a contact, a menu of services, just so people can see that you're professional and that you know what you want to be doing with your life. Um, I'm a big fan, Brie, of newsletters. Have I mentioned Mm -hmm. that I love newsletters? (laughs) Um, So I've run a newsletter for the past seven or eight years maybe and it's it's helpful you know it'll it'll create business um and a comfort with self-promotion I think is probably the most important thing if you're gonna go out on your own unfortunately that's true yeah can you tell everyone about your newsletter what what how it generates leads for you what the content is how frequent yeah. it is etc um I do about monthly and for some reason, it's um, been a lot of life updates lately. Like, it would be like, oh, we got married. And that's like the subject of my newsletters. We got married because the newsletter is updates about my life and my film life. And the idea is, you know, you share something personal. I share a lot of personal things in my newsletter. You share about what you're doing. You are the brand. The brand is you. And so mm-hmm. for me, every time I share, it's it's promotion. It's marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, you may do a little blip at the end that say, you know, I'm going to talk about this. So my next newsletter, and I'll be like, I was on this amazing podcast. And then I'll be like, do you have a podcast? Would you like me to be on your podcast? (laughs) You know, like I just spoke at Johns Hopkins. Do you have a place for me to speak at? I will. So it's just a reminder. 
And I think what newsletters are, are they a reminder that you exist? Because people speed through social media and then you don't always get on someone's newsfeed when you want to get in their newsfeed, but you'll get in their inbox, right? Mm-hmm. And they're more likely to look at it. You know all these things. I'm just saying them out loud because you asked me a question. Um, Maybe, no, I mean, <laughs> this isn't just for me. This is for our, our listeners as yeah, well. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, right, right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, the point of it is a reminder that you exist. The point of it to remind people, people will forget who you are all the time. So you just be like, oh, by the way, I also do this. I do this. I do this. And usually you'll come into their inbox and, you know, there'll be some sort of percentage of people who go like, oh, I need a consultant. I need mm-hmm. to do a crowdfunding campaign. And then they'll respond if you mention it. So it's garnered me a few leads here and there. It's garnered me speaking opportunities. It's just, um, I've never quantified it, but the goal is to never sound like a marketer, but to just sound sure. like myself. Have you uh, ever used um, a, like a middleman freelancing site? So like an Upwork or a Fiverr? Do you have any opinions on places like that? No, I feel like I've will... like, this is a whole thing that I should have done. Well, so the reason I ask is there's obviously, there's always, anytime you bring up Fiverr, especially like the women in film groups go absolutely mad and not un, you know, earned because Fiverr's whole brand is, especially originally when it was just things you could do for $5, their whole brand, their whole marketing is about like, never sleep. If you eat coffee for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're a freelancer for Fiverr, like kind of stuff. Like it's very aggressive nonsense, (laughs) but like Fiverr doesn't set the terms of anything. It's just a marketplace for freelancers, essentially. And like, you know, now you can charge more than just $5 for, you know, whatever it is the thing you do. Because originally it was just a marketplace for what can you do for five bucks? Oh my God. Um, And that still is very much a thing of it, but you can definitely set like higher rates. So like when I was doing, when I was briefly without income uh, last year, two years ago, who knows? 2019, whenever 2019 was, there was a period of a couple of months where I didn't really have income. And so I did some Fiverr consult consultations and had like tears for things like that. And I found it helpful just because like, I was trying to be kind of low key about the fact that I didn't have income for a lot of reasons. Um, and it was a good place for people who were searching like press release. I could do that for them. Um, but you know, the, depending on a company, you know, they'll take a cut of your fee. Mm. Um, also, you know, you have no control over who's seeing your stuff. So, you know, sometimes just getting people who are saying, I'd love to spend $300 on you is very helpful. But if you don't, if you can't vet them ahead of time, that can be challenging. So I was just curious if you had any experience with any of those sites or opinions on them. No, I'm open to it. I think what was important to me when I started freelance was the ability to say no to someone mm-hmm. and to kind of I haven't said no yet. I probably should have <laughs> a few times. Um, I'm trying. I like there's the, the hope and the dream that one day I'll say no. Um, but I think that I would feel less control if I went through a service that you're talking about. I could be wrong because you're kind of promoting and you're putting the call out there. And maybe you feel like you have to be a part of that mission or, you know, the bolts and the nuts of, of the machine. Um But I mean, I think that's a really exciting idea. I'm now thinking like, wow, I really haven't promoted myself to any of these other things. And maybe that's the next step is, is Fiverr. (laughs) Damn it. Fiverr. I'm writing them down. 
Fiverr as a company is garbage, but like as a platform, as a functional platform, I haven't had any problems with it. Upwork, I have more problems with. Upwork is you apply for work. It's not like a you advertise yourself as a freelancer. It sort of is like that, but mostly it's just people posting gigs. And so I used to get a lot of freelancing work through that, like oh. specifically writing for and doing voiceover for um, factoid YouTube channels, which is like a whole fucking yes. conglomerate. Like the ones that are like the top 10 craziest sea creatures. Like I used to write those scripts. <laughs> I used to do that voiceover. Um, and it was really good work for a while, especially while I was in grad school. But increasingly Upwork is like even more exploitative because you're not setting your own rates necessarily. You're applying through someone else's oh. and you can, you can negotiate a little bit, but like people would be like, yeah, we want you to write, um, you know, three 500 word articles a day. The pay is $5 an article. <laughs> it's like excuse oh me yeah so like that that kind of stuff i find exploitative because you aren't setting the rate um but fiverr again like websites bad as just like a company but so is facebook you know and i've gotten a lot of jobs through facebook so like there, there's a level to which we all need to maybe relax a little bit and accept that tools are tools i think the thing that is frustrating for people who who do freelance is that like they have a skill to offer and People are on these platforms advertising that same skill for far sure. less than what its value is. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if you don't have a community of people that will recommend you, if you don't have that sort of, like, circle, it's really hard to break in. And then, like, the only way to break in is to reduce your rate and compete on these platforms. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, like, thing that, that frustrates people. I think that that came into play, like, I was trying to figure out what my rate was. And I'm, I and I found out, about that. <laughs> oh, okay, well, I don't, should I? No, do? no, no, okay. go, 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 go. Um, <laughs> um, and I started to think like, I don't want to put my rate so low because I don't want to undercut my colleagues. And it was a really interesting mm -hmm. way of looking at it, right? It's like, I'm a capitalist. So like part of me is like, oh, got to get the money, got to get those clients. But then you're like, but those are my colleagues who are going to refer work to me. I'm going to refer work to them. We're a part of a mm -hmm. community. So I actually set my rate to what I presumed, because I don't know everyone's rate, right? But what I presumed was a substantial rate to live on if I got enough clients, half the rate of the most expensive person, but still around what most people are charging, if that makes sense, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, I didn't do the 99 cents while someone else is charging a dollar thing, but sure. to actually set your rate to what other people are charging mm -hmm. and just differentiate yourself with, your identity, like mm. what the style, but and it's really interesting. Yeah, I guess it's like what Netflix did to distribution. It's like you don't want to undervalue right. the whole operation, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so so you the way that you set your rate then was you asked around for colleagues in the similar field, um, and then kind of set it based on that. Yeah, because I I had a few people who said, you know, I I wanted an hourly rate. I wanted to play with an hour. I wanted to prorate my rate. I never wanted to round up or round down. I wanted it to be very fair and to the minute. And I'll just say what my rate is. I'm 200 an hour. Okay. And that 200 an hour is like for screening films. It's for the in-person consultation. And then I don't charge for emails. I don't charge for text messages. I don't charge for anything in between consultations. Mm -hmm. I just charge for the time that I'm doing FaceTime with someone and when I'm screening their film. And for me, I may I may still be tremendously undervaluing myself. From what I hear from some people, I am. <laughs> but <laughs> but it doesn't matter because what I want to do is I want I want to be on a volume business. I want to get to know as many filmmakers as possible. 
so that their data on their release, on their marketing, on working with them applies to the next project. I I don't mm-hmm. get better unless I iterate and have a history of clients. Mm-hmm. So um, and lots of different kinds of clients, which is helpful. Right. So you want to incentivize, but you don't want to undervalue. I know a lot of consultants who do flat fees, and I wasn't mm-hmm. interested in that either because I wanted to know that every. I wanted to be able to count for the minutes of my day. That's smart. And I didn't want to just have a deliverable and not really know how much time it would take me to create it and then just still have to work under that flat fee the whole time. So Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I yeah. I was doing um when I the the brief period of time that I was specifically freelancing with consulting is I did a flat fee, but like the fee increased depending on how much work you wanted me to do outside mm-hmm. of the call that we would have. So like the, the smallest flat fee would be I'd send you a two pager of like general recommendations based on our one hour call or whatever. Mm. And then like the step above it would be, I would also provide some like press contacts that I knew of that I thought would be interested in this work as well as like a, a sample press release that I would write up based on your specifications. And then like the higher would be like one, you know, I would do like your whole marketing plan or something. Nobody paid for that one, <laughs> but um, that was how I did it. But I think that like what you were saying, Liz, is like being able to account for your hours, being able to account for your minutes because I'm so bad at guarding my time and boundaries. I I like the idea of this is the hourly rate. I'm not going to charge for work I do outside of it. (laughs) You know, like I'm not going to charge for writing an email to you. I'm not going to charge for like, I'll send you a couple of articles. Um, I'm just going to charge you for the amount of time that I am actively working on your thing and or actively talking to you. I think that's that's a smart way of setting your own boundaries. And I I kept thinking, because I worked for someone whose rate changed based on demand, because he was in such high demands that he kept raising his rate to kind of eke people out. And then others Mm -hmm. would still continue to pay him as his rate got bigger. Like, I think there's a world where if your client or your, your roster, your client base grows and your grows and your word of mouth and your reputation grows, you can, your rate can get higher. It's not the end of the world, right? So I also liked the idea, I like quantified what my hourly rate was at other companies, you know, and it was far less than $200 an hour, (laughs) but that was a salary position, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. And I'm sorry, I did realize something that I didn't mention earlier that I wanted to say, because y'all were like, how do you balance these things? And I just want to say that I was commuting two and a half hours before the pandemic every day. Oh, wow. wow. So to me, I'm like, look at all the free time I have. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's part of it too, is if you're used to making certain sacrifices in your work culture that take away from your actual working time, you could be a little bit more flexible with other things when you free up your schedule and you you go freelance. That makes sense. Christina and I were both remote before the pandemic. So Oh, so that's great. So you can kind of (laughs) you know, build up your schedule how you wanted to. Totally. Yeah. And I, I sometimes still do like factor in commutes, quote unquote, like if I'm need to come, like for a while during the pandemic, I was still going to therapy and pre pandemic, obviously I was in person for therapy and I had a 45 commute, 45 minute commute there and back. Right. And even after the pandemic started and I was just doing remote therapy, I maintained my 45 minute like commute buffer to, to kind of give myself space. Like, Hey, I would have ordinarily not been working during this time. 
And it's nice to not be able to not go straight from therapy to like a meeting because it's yeah. just it, the mind fuck is real. Um, so I, I do like kind of build, quote unquote, building in your commute into your schedule, even if you didn't have one before. My um, sorry, I do one more thing, I swear. Uh, no, my <laughs> how dare you, the guest on our podcast, talk on our podcast. <laughs> um, this person I used to work for, I used to work for Peter Broderick, lovely man, distribution consultant. And. He used to institute, I used to run a schedule and he would say, I want Fridays to be fun Fridays. And we would block <laughs> out Fridays. And by the way, every every Friday, he'd be like, just just throw them on Friday. And I'd be like, what about fun Fridays, Peter? And he's like, oh no, we can't. This is way too important. It has to go in front. You know, he didn't, he didn't establish the boundaries very well either. But I think there's something where it's like, maybe you protect your mornings, or you protect Friday afternoon, or you protect something and you say, you draw a line in the sand and you just say, it's unavailable. And I think that's, I'm trying to learn that, but I think that's also really important. I was just thinking about how freelancers have no boundaries and we're trying to establish boundaries, mm-hmm. but sometimes people want to go on front Friday and you just have to, you know, to decide whether you let them or not. Yeah. I'll say my, I'm again, admittedly the worst at this, but one thing that I've been doing is I try to rely on a, a, an app like Calendly to like Mm -hmm. decide when I am available. So if I pre-program it, like, you know, I used to have a really hard time taking lunch breaks, especially because like I work for a company that is primarily based in Los Angeles, but I'm on East coast time. So like my lunch break is when everyone else is starting work. So it used to be very hard and I would just work through it because there wasn't an obvious time to take it. But so what I started doing was just making myself unavailable for like a 45 minute window every single day so that like I wouldn't be unexpectedly called into something. It was like, nope, this is my lunch break. And so even when I would forget or when even when I would be like, oh, do I need to eat today? <laughs> like my calendar literally <laughs> wouldn't let people schedule calls with me. So that's that's what I will say is like using that automating your enforcement of boundaries can be particularly helpful for, for, for some people out there. That's very smart. <laughs> yeah. Yes, automate everything. Um so I'm I'm also curious Liz because you you do a lot of different kinds of freelancing. Um you know, some for hire, some consulting, things like that. Do your does your rate change at all based on how public the work is? So like do you have a speaker fee versus like sitting in a cafe typing fee? Like does does that change anything or is it just flat hourly uh, or like based on you know somebody assigns you a job and says I'll pay you 150 bucks for this case study or whatever it ends up being um no not yet right now it's still my hourly rate is my hourly rate um I do a lot of speaking but I don't really have a set fee I really go with what they have accessible and if it's Mm -hmm. zero I still do it because to me the speaking generates enough opportunities that it it, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it also like allows me to stay crisp. I don't even know what the phrase is, but it allows me to like, it's scary, right? It's scary to do public speaking. There's like more at risk and it keeps you fresh. Maybe that's the word. Mm -hmm. So no, there's no differentiation. And it's probably a a foible of my plan. Um, (laughs) But I just don't want to keep track of it, to be honest. Like, and for me, I like to say like, my value is this. I'm bringing all of me to every hour. So the one part of me is more valuable than the other part of me. Um, and we'll see at the end of January or February if that was really, really foolish. I'll find out if this was a bad idea. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm the direction I'm going in as well, um, because I did a ton of speaking before. And yeah, I think like for me, even when I was at Seeding Spark or not even representing Seeding Spark, but doing a panel, 
that was the number one place where people would ask if they could get a consultation with me after because I had, you know, had like great sound bites on that panel and it made them want to get more. Yeah, it's like there's there's sort of there's a couple of different kinds of camps of freelancers. And I think there is definitely the camp that's like charge for everything. Every time you are doing a business thing, it is a business expense. Um, And I think for some people that works, but especially in the, you know, the artist's field, it's an unrealistic standard. And you know, a lot of the best events are run by all volunteers. And, you know, like that doesn't mean that it's any less valuable for you to be there. Like, I think there's also a level of you have to weigh the exposure versus like the loss of potential income, you know, because like, sure, paid and exposure is like a common freelancing meme, you know, it's like, oh, well, this this job that will take you 70 mm-hmm. hours yeah. won't pay. But like, we're going to be so nice to you. And it's like, well, that's great. <laughs> but that's 70 hours worth of work. But I also do think that it there's a difference between, you know, doing a, a full fledged thing you'd normally get paid for for exposure and you know, jumping on a panel, doing a podcast, like, yeah. you know, taking a 15 minute call, like sometimes it benefits you to do a little bit of free work. And it's not because you're undervaluing yourself, but it's because you understand that there is more to building a business, building a brand than just, you know, fuck you, pay me. You know, I think that's 100%. too simplistic. And it's also, it's networking, you know, I mean, it's right. like, totally. like, you know, Christine, you were saying, you're like, you, it's a business lead for you. But even if people aren't signing up to consult with you, like I've had people come up to me and they've been like, I saw you at this other thing. And mm-hmm. then I recognized you and I'm like, oh, sweet. I made an impression. Right. Even, right. even if I didn't get paid for that impression. Um, and I say yes to almost every kind of public speaking podcast thing. Like this one obviously was very special that I would have said yes if I had a curation, you know. Um, (laughs) But like there was this, I'm doing a podcast tomorrow where they like are just starting up a podcast, do not have an audience, just want to talk to someone about how to make a movie. Like that was literally (laughs) how it was pitched to me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's let's do it. Um, I think it's fun to talk to other people. So But I think the issue is if you're doing something for free, if you're donating your time, you're not driving more than a half hour to get there. You're not Mm -hmm. like you're not paying for airfare. Right. You're not. Yeah. You're not. Nothing's coming out of pocket. And it's at a time of day that works for you. Like they Mm -hmm. schedule Mm -hmm. around you if they can do it. Like I would say that's when your boundaries come into play where it's like you don't like I was just asked to work on a Sunday from 4 to 7 p.m., which is like sacred time for me. Because that's like with the kid, three hours, right? But they're paying me. So I was like, okay, here's an <laughs> exception. I'll make an exception to my my boundaries because right. the price is right. You just got to be careful that your exception doesn't become the rule. Yeah. Which I think is fun the, Fridays. The trick that, exactly. Fun Fridays, of course. <laughs> Um, no, that's awesome. Uh, so, so one thing that I just wanted to share and and wanted to kind of get your opinion on Liz is so Christine and I actually both a couple of months ago attended this, um, workshop on freelancing Mm -hmm. and afterwards they like sent out like a, a general way of setting your rate. And so I'm curious if, if this vibes with you, if you would edit anything or if you approve of this formula. Um, so the, the, their sort of formula is with the financial diet. The financial diet is one of my favorite financial, uh, outlets 
So they do all sorts of events and videos and blogs. So if anyone's looking for just like financial advice and investing advice and even freelancing advice to a certain extent, Financial Diet is a really cool website. Um, but they say, first, what you need to do is like Liz already mentioned, add up your monthly bills and life costs, your fun money. So any amount of money that you want to set aside for like movies, things like that. <laughs> you know, when you used to go out to movies and they cost more than 99 cents to rent. Um, mm-hmm. And also any like future savings or goals. If you want to put away a hundred bucks a month for savings, savings, like add that up. That's your monthly burn. Second, add up your business operating costs if you have any and multiply it by uh, 1.3 for taxes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you pay for office space, if you pay for a subscription to like the Adobe cloud, because that's part of your business, like whatever it costs to maintain your business that is separate from what you would be paying just to live your life, that is your business costs. Uh, And then third, add your you money, your living money and your operating costs together for how much money you need to make each month at least. And then break down that goal by how many hours you want to work or clients you want to take on to determine your rate. So if you need $6,000 a month, (laughs) wild, um, you can charge $100 an hour and only work 60 hours a month. And so like, that's how they kind of recommend, like, how much do you want to work a month? All right, well, if you need this much money to work that many hours, this is your hourly rate. Yeah. I, my, um, I have an accountant because I have an LLC, right? And I usually produce films under my LLC. And um, I said to her, you know, what do I do? And she says, just imagine that 25% of what you make is going to disappear. Because you're also, sure. mm-hmm. I'm going to file quarterly taxes for the first time in six years or seven years. And so I had to kind of think of that. And so I thought, you know, the way I approach this, it was like, I, first of all, I had a personal goal to make more than I made on my salary job as a freelancer. That was like really important to me is like, can, cause one of the reasons I went freelance was like, I think that there's a ceiling when you're in a salary job and you have to play mm-hmm. this kind of political game to rise mm-hmm. up through the ranks and it's not merit-based, right? It's like situational no. based or economy based or whatever it is. And sometimes um, you don't want to get promoted because you like the job that you're doing. Right? There's <laughs> right. like a million different reasons, right? But there's still this like wall that you don't get to break through. Someone else like will open up the wall for you and invite you up. So my goal was to prove that I could make more as a freelancer. So I took my salary of last year and I kind of figured out what would I have to get with that 25% gone as the gross. And so that was part of my calculations. But ultimately, I'm also just saying, like, if I have enough money for a year, I'm testing this out this year, right? I'm testing out what is my demand? What is my bandwidth? Every month, it's like, do I feel too busy? If I feel too busy, I'm cutting down my hours. So I think it's iterative, too. It's like, you may not know how many hours you want to work a week. You may not know how many hours you can work a week. Sure. Mm-hmm. I talked to Mia a lot about raid and hours, and she said, you know, I won't give the numbers, but there was one year where she worked so hard and didn't establish her boundaries, and she made a ton of money. But now she's actually trying to get back below that, where she's not burning the candle at both ends, right? Sure. Right. So it's um, – anyway, I 100% agree with the math of what you're talking about, but I also think um, – that, yeah, you you don't always know the answer um, to all these Sometimes questions. Sometimes you need to experiment a little bit first, but see to, what works for you. Yeah, and I and the other reason I made the leap is that I had a really big tax refund coming to me this year that was overdue because I had a bunch of extensions that I filed and all these things, and it had to do with my film production. So, like, I had a, a cushion there, too. So I think I really wouldn't make the leap unless you really feel like you could survive for 
mm-hmm. six months without without any paid work. And I think that's part of the calculations as well. That's that's very true. Yeah, I, true. I appreciate yeah. that one of the first things when I was like, what do you need when you're starting out? You're like, demand. Don't yeah. just, you can't just start freelancing. <laughs> and I mean, some of the demand can be helped with a website like a Fiverr or, you know, the various freelancing platforms that I'm sure are out there, you know, like that'll help it a little bit. But, you know, a lot of people are on those websites. A lot of people are undervaluing themselves on those websites. So like you do probably need some level of notoriety, maybe one client to start off with. Um, but I do think that that's, that's, that's worth mentioning to people. Or no, or no people who can pass you work, who have enough demand. Sure. And faith in you that they can throw you some stuff that they can take on. Uh, Liz, something else I was curious about, especially when you were like, I don't charge for like emails and things like that. How much work are you doing specifically with consulting that isn't being on the phone with a filmmaker? Like, Mm -hmm. is there back end work that you do that you factor into your hourly rate? Um, that that is technically an email, but you don't consider you know one of your free emails or you know however you break down what you're working on. Like what are what is the actual workday look like for you? So I had a consultation today, and I, I wanted it to be half hour, but it ended up being an hour. Right. So at the very end of that call, I say to my client everything that I'm going to deliver to him or her. And um, in that case, honestly, I, th- I was taking it thinking it was a free call. But at the end of the call, he's like, so invoice me. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> so this is like number one rule breaker, Liz. Like I'm undervaluing myself yet again, giving away free work. Um, you know, the follow up is usually connections to service providers, to platforms, I've pitched films before. I just got a few films distribution deals. I sometimes act as a sales agent without taking any back-end revenue. So like the work isn't time consuming. It's just that I've built up these relationships for the past 10 years. So I think that's what the value is providing. But my follow-up emails are like either introducing two people to each other or providing an email address or giving notes of feedback on a website or looking at a poster or trailer and saying how I would advise them go in alternate direction. So I, it's never that time consuming. And I always think of it as like, I'm furthering my investment in that artist. My personal mission stemming from working at Sundance is I've seen how the same artists get supported over and over again. And then I see this huge gap. And then I see this group of artists who can't, it's like I, Naomi McDougal Jones and I are working together on something and she talks about it as like an elevator, right? Like people mm-hmm. at the Sundance at the Tribeca or the Berlin Alley are in an elevator and everyone else is taking the stairs. And so like my sure. personal mission is like, how can I be a tiny little dumb waiter for them? You know, <laughs> like um, as of right now, I don't think of that as lost money. I think of it Got as it. like ways to help and empower and advocate for them. Mm-hmm. I will, we should talk in a year. I honestly, I'm kind of like <laughs> all of these theories will be tested to see if I hit my income in next January and if I was foolish and if this is all lost <laughs> wages um I mean maybe we should do a follow-up follow-up episode yeah. in a year because like Christina will then have been on the freelancing market for a while and who knows maybe I will we you never know um <laughs> so like yeah I think that that actually definitely makes sense because I mean you're you're doing well so far and everything Thank that you've you. said seems like it makes sense based on everything else I know about like freelancing but, but I would be very I curious know, right? like, exactly I would be curious for the case study sort of like recap of 
the the hypotheses that you're setting out to test this year. You'll see me in a year in a basement. In, like, <laughs> the screenshot you know, will look very different. Yeah, like there's like a slumlord walking by me, like checking the, <laughs> the, the, the desert like, camera. Oh, yeah, this is, this is my new roommate, our, our new tenant. He lives in our bed. Um. <laughs> I mean, it really could go either way. Um, and I guess I didn't mention this, but I wanted to mention is that you know, I wrote this horror film and my plan is when I finance it is to bake my salary into it. So it's like, that's something awesome. again, that as filmmakers, as artists support, as champions of artist supporters, as storytellers, like making sure we're evaluating ourselves and our contributions properly in budgets is something that I'm going to attempt to do this year, which I've never done. I've always, always worked unpaid on projects, but mm-hmm. so we'll see. We'll see if that works out too. Very cool. Very well, cool. Um, the final like <laughs> official question I have for you, Liz, since you've mentioned it a couple of times, uh, can you define what creative distribution means? Yeah, I'll try. I'll try. Um, <laughs> for the way I define it with a client is it's anything outside of the all rights, all territories distribution um, in the traditional old world of, of releasing a, a film. So though I'll work with anyone, even if they want to sell their film you know, for 15 years to some unnamed distributor, my goal is to encourage filmmakers to split their rights, maximize each window, um, maximize each right, and to keep as much control as possible over marketing and direct communication with an audience. Because as we all know, that's, that's the bread and butter. That relationship is what's going to propel you from film to film. Makes sense. Um, well, then Liz, uh, final thoughts on freelancing, final advice you would give out, you know, things to red flags to look out for in new clients, like any final advice that you'd like to impart? Advice? I was really, really scared, very scared to quit my job. I honestly went on 5am hikes for like a month, every single day thinking about it. So I just wanted to acknowledge that if anyone's thinking about it, I I know the fear and I know the trepidation and the other side is so sweet and lovely and it's everything you thought it would be. At least it is right now. I cannot <laughs> guarantee it will be in a year. Um, so just a vote of confidence for those who feel that they could do this. I'm sure they can. Let me know if you need help. If you're, if you're in the distribution world, I'm happy to like recommend people to you or recommend access to you. So that would be the emotional piece of advice. And then um, red flags, you know, stay away from entitlement at all costs. Stay away from anyone who is living in a fantasy world and is rude. And just don't invite that into your working world. That's why you're freelance, so that you can choose who you can work with. <laughs> so surround yourself with people who excite you and make you look forward to Mondays. I love that. It's All right. Amazing. And now shameless plug time. Shameless Please, plug. Liz, where can we find you? Where can we subscribe to your newsletter? Where can we listen to your filmmaking podcast what? and all of the other things? Um, I should have an email widget. Hopefully it's still there on lizmanichelle.com. Um, I am co-host of Making Movies is Hard, the podcast with Alric Bursell. And then Twitter is where I'm trying to get to 2,000 followers <laughs> desperately. <laughs> it's such a low goal and I can't get there. Um, so Liz Man- at Liz Manichelle on Twitter is where I'm trying to concentrate everyone so I can get to 2K. Great. Um, and, and can you really briefly tell everyone, specifically if they're looking to hire a freelancer, what are the things that you specifically consult on? Sure. Um, I consult on uh, release strategy. 
on um, choosing between distribution offers, on marketing plans, on audience building. I'm also career consulting with two filmmakers where I just have monthly meetings with them and hold them accountable for their goals, keep them on track, cheerlead for them, recommend them to film festivals. I become like their advocate because I believe in them. Um, but the thing that I that I most enjoy and that is my proverbial bread and butter is the distribution consulting where I um, watch your film, advise where it should go, help you get there, and help, help you give the biggest bang for your buck, I guess. Well, is that That's commercial enough. I get to the biggest <laughs> bang for your buck. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Liz, for, yeah, for joining you. us. And I, I am definitely going to call you in a year and be like, Liz, we have to talk about what happened. Even if it goes terrible, I hope you're, you're still willing to be like, this is what went wrong. And I'm going to try it again next year. <laughs> well, I hope we talk before then, too. Yes. No, no talking. <laughs> this is the last time. But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining yeah, us. Uh, of course, LizManishel.com is going to be in our episode notes. So for those of you who don't want to bother typing it yourself, we got you. Uh, and uh, that's that's going to be it for us. Christina, take it yeah. away. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, and to our editor, Ezra Lee. Links to learn more about them and Liz are in our episode description. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you get notified of all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday and subscribe to our Substack, breakingoutpod.substack.com for bonus content every other uh, episode. And make sure to rate us five stars on iTunes if you haven't already. It really does help us out. Next episode, we will be covering marketing, probably the first of many similarly topicked episodes. It's, it's a big topic, but we're going to try to do a, at least an intro next week, and we hope you'll join us for that. So be sure to tune in. Thanks again to Liz, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks, folks. <laughs>